when you're doing this for a while, I think it changes the way you look around the city um, in that you get an inquisitiveness and curiosity. I think that it connects dots. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Today, we're talking about curious and wondrous travel, which isn't necessarily the same thing as exotic and expensive travel. In fact, today is a lot about the surprising wonderfulness around us every day. In my high school yearbook, we could each select a quote to accompany our picture. I chose Tolkien. Still round the corner there may wait a new road or a secret gate, and though I oft have passed them by, a day will come at last when I shall take the hidden paths and run west of the moon, east of the sun. I still love the promise of secret gates and hidden paths right in our midst. Gates and paths that could lead, if not into the cosmos, at least west of McLean and east of the river. And who better to speak to exploring the capital area in ways beyond the usual suspects than Atlas Obscura's own D.C. chief explorer, Elliot Carter. Atlas Obscura, an apt name if ever there was one, is a compendium for people who still believe in discovery. It's how I found a carnivorous plant garden in Wilmington, North Carolina, and Dumars, makers of the very first ice cream cones in Virginia Beach. It's pointing me to a Gothic cathedral made of volcanic rock in France and an especially elaborate labyrinth in Spain. But one of the things I love most about Atlas Obscura is that it's a reminder that you don't have to travel far to be transported. And Elliot who's written dozens of posts, is truly masterful in this regard. And more on that in a moment. Research suggests that your next job, your next lover, your next big opportunity will come not from your friends and the people you know, but from their friends and the people they know, and even further removed than that. It's called the strength of weak ties, and it's among the reasons we should all be talking to strangers more. Why we should be in discovery mode, you might say choosing to be curious, when it comes to people as well as places. So in that spirit, I found myself in someone's living room in Mount Rainier a few weeks ago with a bunch of people I did not know. It was the monthly meeting of the D.C. Listening Lounge, a group of sound enthusiasts who meet to listen and appreciate the oral spectrum. If you've listened to this program before, you know I encourage people to pay attention to the sounds around them, to our unique soundscape, and to be curious about the people and the stories behind those sounds. Here was a group of people from really every imaginable walk of life who shared the joy and discovery, my people, except they were people I had never met before. And one of them had some unexpected and interesting sounds. And his goal was to get on the air sometime this year. I rest my case about the potential in weak ties, and I'm delighted to introduce Reen Barger's radio debut. I was on an unfamiliar L platform in Chicago last November for a few reasons. The most immediate reason was that I had taken the red line towards a live taping of a podcast. But as we went, I didn't recognize any of the stops. 
So when we came out of a tunnel, I decided I'd probably gone far enough, even if I wasn't at the right stop. Oh, never mind, it's a red light. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. So there I was, standing on the Armitage L platform, watching and listening as a crew did track work. Armitage is a classic Chicago L platform, raised above the street. There are four sets of tracks, and on the far side, an old control tower, where they used to oversee switching. The reason I was in Chicago was to attend a radio conference, which had wrapped up the night before. The podcast taping was much later that afternoon, so I stayed on the platform for nearly an hour, recording the sounds of track work. So you could say they were the reason I was at Armitage, rather than whatever platform I had intended. But for their work, I would have gone on to my intended destination with barely a second thought. I stood enthralled as small diesel, I guess they're cranes designed to lift railroad ties, and they pulled small flatbed cars loaded with track debris up from the tunnel. So the passenger trains passed on the outside rails, and the crew dropped debris between the ties on the inner set of rails. The old railroad spikes and rusted hardware fell out of sight and bounced into the bed of the dump truck below. The real reason I found myself on the Armitage platform enjoying the rain was because I had the good fortune to be traveling with a destination and no schedule. If you'd like to propose a segment for the show, let me know. Shoot me an email at choosetobecurious at gmail.com. So what's the moral here? Mix it up, look around, talk to strangers, go places. At a minimum, listen to what the Dalai Lama has to say. And once a year, go someplace you have never been. It doesn't have to be far. And in case you need inspiration, I've got Elliot Carter here. So welcome, Elliot. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. You have the coolest title ever. Tell me more about it. Thanks so much. Um, So I'm the DC chief explorer for uh, Atlas Obscura. And what I do is I write about uh, five articles a week for them, kind of just this nights and weekends passion project. Um, They're not long form pieces. It's quick hits that you can enjoy on your mobile phone or while you're walking around or waiting for the train. And it's about um, surfacing these stories about stuff that's just around the corner from maybe where you work or it's on your commute, and it's about um, basically expiring wonder about where you live in this really vibrant city. So what got you started on doing this? How do you get such a gig? That's interesting. So I kind of went down this rabbit hole first a couple of years ago when I was working on Capitol Hill um, in this very lowly, kind of boring position. And one of my responsibilities was giving these tours of the Capitol building to constituents. Oh, sure. And the official tour guide that they want you to give out is this kind of semi-rote tour of four rooms. And it's a prepackaged thing. And what I realized was that kind of doing my own tour of the building was much more exciting, both for me and for the people who are visiting. So I would give these like two-hour, wide-ranging tours, kind of taking them down in the basement, in the tunnels, Uh, These constituents had no idea how good they got it. That's great. So so what makes a place interesting? I think the most interesting thing about places in D.C., it's 
I'd describe it as like the little known fact about the well-known place. So there are all these super well-visited things in DC. You've got the Washington Monument in the Capitol. And you can generally kind of sum them up in 15 minutes on the double-decker tour bus. But the most interesting thing, I think, are the little-known facets of these sites. So whenever I go to the Washington Monument with guests, I tell them about the 12-foot-tall miniature Washington, Washington Monument that's uh, buried nearby underground and uses a survey point. I read your story about that. <laughs> yeah. Or at the Capitol, you know, the rotunda is kind of cool, but the Library of Congress is book conveyor tunnel, I think is way cooler. So what do you think it is that's so appealing about this kind of hiding in plain sight or the secrets? I mean, what is it that speaks to you about it or to us in general, do you think? I think what's coolest about it to me is that you may have walked by some weird statue or building or facade a hundred times in your course of your day and never kind of thought about what maybe hidden history uh, may have taken place on that spot or why these things exist and just stopping and kind of learning more about the just really multi-layered elements of our city is kind of what adds just the vibrancy and meaning to the area. Mm -hmm. And it's what separates like a really cool historic area like DuPont Circle from maybe these, you know, instant neighborhoods, quote unquote, that you have in like city center or the wharf. Right. Where there's no, there are no markers left or barely. (laughs) Right. It's kind of the simple narrative that they want to tell you, and that's all you get, as opposed to maybe something more nuanced and meaningful. So do you have some favorite spots? I definitely do. Um, And I brought a couple of them with me. Yeah, do tell. So I guess one of my... Well, I'll start off, I guess, by saying I'm normally very district-based, but I do come out to Arlington and Virginia. come across the river. Thank you. There is some (laughs) stuff that pulls me over here. Um, Uh And... I guess one of my favorite Virginia things has to be the Pentagon building, where I've done a bit of work there for my day job. And it's a similar thing to the Capitol building, where you have this just immensely large, complex thing that's multi-layered and has all these um, urban legends and little hidden shrines and secret um, things to be discovered. So well, it's like a city in and of itself. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one of the coolest ways that's borne out with the Pentagon, the city within the city concept, is um, I like to tell people about the old taxi tunnels that used to run through the entire length of the building there. Um, Because when it was built, you know, they had 30,000 people commuting there. They had to think about the architecture like you would urban planning. So they're incorporating highways internally inside the building and stuff. Oh, fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah, and they've long since been capped up to make uh, additional office space for... Ronald Reagan's Star Wars defense program. But, you know, the architectural scars are still on the building where they were. And you can see the highway kind of like the scar architecture of the highway on the maps and stuff. The scar architecture. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, so can anyone write up a location? I mean, how does that work? Let's get back to the sort of the brass tacks on the Atlas Obscura part of it. But Sure. So in one sense, Atlas Obscura is a totally crowdsourced project, um, kind of similar to Wikipedia, where uh-huh. people are free to submit write-ups and photographs. And we love when they do that because that's the key to getting the greatest local stuff. It's local knowledge. Uh, but there's also a paid full-time staff in Brooklyn that does some vetting of user content. And then they obviously have their own editorial calendars. And I kind of sit somewhere in the middle where uh, I'm an Atlas employee, but it's a part-time thing. Uh-huh. So... I straddle the line. And are most readers uh, reading locally or 
more aspirationally, do you think? I think it's really a mix, and it's the best thing that it is that mix. Because on the one hand, I think what I've been trying to do is I'm writing mostly for Washingtonians or people who move to Washington, and they may find themselves in this just incredibly dense, interesting city and have no idea where to start. Mm. And what you can do with Atlas Obscura is if you pull it up on your smartphone, you can say, what's near me within 250 feet? And it'll start pointing you to the, you know, the old ruins on Theodore Roosevelt Island or the, um, you know, whatever you may be is around you. Right. But the travel aspect, I think, is one of the most inspiring things in that, I don't know, whenever I'm going through my news feed on Facebook and seeing all these downer political stories and then I get one for like the glowworm caves of <laughs> Lithuania or whatever, it, I think, certainly inspires a sense of wanting to travel. Well, I will confess, you know, this summer... Um, we did a sort of spur of the moment trip to South Carolina to see the total eclipse. I was like, this is not going to happen without me seeing it. And so we were kind of on a on a mission to get down there. But coming back, we thought, well, we'll you know take more of a scenic route. And it was totally driven by kind of hitting a bunch of Atlas Obscura really? spots along the That's way. Awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. And there were things that, you know, as you say, something like this this carnivorous garden, this carnivorous plant garden is in the back of an elementary school, you know, in a residential (laughs) neighborhood. I would never, I mean, you just would never find it. You would never go there. And yet it was an absolutely delightful, you know, short little trip. But it was just fun to kind of string these little gems together. Yeah, and that's totally the kind of thing that you wouldn't be able to get if you were sitting in Brooklyn. It's that local knowledge and tips and stuff. Right, right. So is there something special about sleuthing out the D.C. sites um, given that it's so, you know, specifically American, I mean, here we are. This is this is broadcasting right around President's Day. I mean, a lot of your stuff has to do with footprints of George Washington, I guess. Um, is there something about D.C. that you think is different in this regard? I mean, obviously, it's kind of intertwined like no other city with um, public policy and national history and um, with military history and stuff like that. I don't know, and I think that's definitely what has piqued my interest. I came from this, you know, with a politics degree, reading biographies of Roosevelt and Washington and kind of, you know, making note of where they show up in the city, you know, link it over by the 14th Street Bridge. And, uh-huh. like, you kind of weave all these things together. And it, again, it's it builds on what I described as, like, the multi-layered element of the city. So is there um, a place or a story that uh, really surprised you or gave you kind of an aha moment when you... You saw the place and put it into that context? Sure, I have a great example of that. Um, so a while ago, I was doing some research on an article about um, the historic kind of safe that they had in the National Archives uh, that they used to protect the Constitution, sure. the Declaration of Independence. And it's long since been replaced after 9-11 with a newer one. But back in the 50s, uh, there was nothing secret about it. They wrote newspaper articles about it. It was a thing of public interest. And I was doing this piece, and I learned that um, in order, kind of as a public relations thing, they built this refrigerator-sized electric model of the vault, this thing that would lower the Constitution down three floors and close into an atomic bomb-proof safe. Oh, my gosh. And they used to have this out there to show to kids, and it would, once every 30 minutes, go up and down. And I got in touch with the archives about this because I was curious what on earth happened to this thing. It's not there now. And it turns out that it had been lost and lost, lost, um, <laughs> lost in the attic, so to speak. And they found it after my inquiry. Uh, oh, cool! And it, it still worked. They plugged it in, 
And what they were able to do is they uh, they cleared it with security, and the archivist of the United States passed off, signed off on it, and they were able to put it back on display and put up a plaque uh, because of our inquiry. That's a wonderful story. That's yeah. a wonderful story. As a citizen, I just want to thank you for being curious and asking those questions. You know, I was thinking about, because I'm really struck, actually, at... Um, one, the wealth of, of posts that there are around D.C., and now I can understand why, given your volume of activity, but also the lens that it gives into American history. And I was thinking about this line, and I don't, I don't know what it's from, but William Hazlitt wrote, a wise traveler never despises his own country. And I feel like having those tidbits, those little bits of history is a way of ensuring that, you know, it's hard to despise something that you actually know. And I wonder if you think about that, if you think about sort of telling these stories as a way of getting people to know and appreciate the country in some way. Totally. That's central to kind of, I think, the brand that we're building in that all of our stories are about a celebration of something that's really cool. And Mm -hmm. These can be found all over the place on any topic. Um, and I sometimes grapple with this when I'm thinking about kind of the trade-offs between like the access you may get from institutions and kind of what journalistic ethics are. And I've concluded that there's almost never a conflict because there's always something inherently cool to tell and surface that may have been lost about almost any subject in the city. Whether it's, you know, the Pentagon, their warriors. Yeah, but there's you know, cool stuff to be found out in the basement. Yeah. So how do you source your stories? Um, the simple answer would be I read a lot and I walk around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say the deeper answer would be when you're doing this for a while, I think it changes the way you look around the city um, in that you get an inquisitiveness and curiosity. I think that it connects dots. It, you know, if I see some strange uh, memorial on a corner, my mind may connect that dot to a map showing that this used to be maybe where, I don't know, say the State Department was located before they moved, or that's where this residence was. And you kind of, um, you make connections and inferences, and that can help, I guess, surface a lot of stories. So it sounds like you're sort of strengthening that muscle. I mean, the more you, the more curious you are, the more curious you are, the more things you see, the more opportunities kind of create themselves. And you're just... You just have your antenna up all the time, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head that it's it's a self-reinforcing reinforcing virtuous cycle. And I can tell you that like for every one article that I start and finish, I keep this list on my phone and I'll have added two or three ideas that kind of open up like forks in a road. Yeah. So where can people learn more? Um, the first place would be going to alisobscura.com. Uh, but there they have a lot of different branches. Uh, we have a local kind of event programmatic arm called the Washington, D.C. Obscure Society. Oh, okay. I'll put a link on Facebook, yeah. That's basically the tour version of what I'm writing. So we're doing stuff with the DuPont Underground. We're over at Tudor Place, Roosevelt Island. And what we do is it's not, I guess, your standard tour of these places. So at Tudor Place, we're going down into the nuclear bomb shelter. Or at Theodore Roosevelt Island, we're not doing the Teddy statue. We're looking at, you know, ruins of an old mansion and stuff like that. Very cool. Well, I'm a regular on Roosevelt Island, so you know I'm going to have to join you one of these days. Absolutely. So uh, we're almost out of time. But before you go, we have the big jar of wannabe analogies. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Okay, so reach in. And uh, oops, let me take my blank slips out here. And um, take out a slip. 
and I'm going to take out one for myself and one for the audience, and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with what others on there. Uh, you want to go first, or you want me to go? Uh, you want to go first? <laughs> well, that's a very gallant way of putting it. <laughs> okay. Uh, mine is water bottle. How is curiosity like a water bottle? Uh, curiosity is like a water bottle because you should uh, carry it with you at all times. It is uh, refreshing. It um, uh, kind of sustains you um, in your in your travels, and um, you never know when you're just going to want to pour it over your head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do you have? I got an easy one. I got forest. Oh, okay. So how is curiosity like a forest? So I would say curiosity is like a forest because I think of each tree, I would say, as one of these little stories that we're uncovering. And as you're walking through a forest or you're walking around uh, Washington or Alexandria, you notice each of these trees and they're cool, each in their own respect. They've all got cool leaves and they're tall and they have nice little reflections to the light. But there's an even deeper level of coolness that can be attained when you take in all these trees and you go up to 30,000 feet and you see how they tell kind of the deeper backstory of the place. Wonderful. Well, you'll have to take that one to Teddy Roosevelt Island. That's perfect. <laughs> okay. And um, audience, yours is a pillow. How is curiosity like a pillow? Let me know. Hashtag analogy. Well, Elliot, thank you so much. And I look forward to reading more. Thank you so much for having me. Since this is radio, I can magically transport myself to one of the places about which Elliot has written. When we were preparing for the show, I asked him if he had a favorite Arlington site, you know, across the river. And he didn't seem to hesitate. His favorite spot, hidden in plain sight, is Abingdon Plantation at National Airport. Abingdon Plantation? At National Airport, you ask? Did you know it was there? I did, although I confess I had never actually been there. So I decided to check it out. Somehow, sandwiched between parking lot A and the rental car return on a grassy hill that the average passerby would easily ignore are the remains of a plantation that once sprawled along the Potomac River. You would think it wouldn't be too hard to find. Okay, so I can see it, but I don't know how to get to it kind of an interesting connect the dots question. I headed across the parking garage, down some steps, along a walkway, echoing with roller bags, and still wasn't sure where I was headed. Excuse me. Excuse me. Can I actually get in there, down here? Huh? Can I actually get into this park down here? Uh, I don't know if you can get into the park. You can try over okay. here. Okay, thank you. Eventually, I found my way in and began reading the many placards around the place. All right, success. Abingdon Plantation. The ages of Abingdon. The land that Ronald Reagan National Airport occupies today was once part of a plantation. The Alexander family. Abingdon Plantation was originally part of a 6,000-acre tract of land granted to Robert Howson in 1669. As master of a sailing ship, he was given the land in exchange for transporting settlers to the colony of Virginia. Housen sold it to John Alexander for 6,000 pounds of tobacco. 6,000 pounds of tobacco. That's a lot of smokes. 
I had some of those connect-the-dot moments that Elliot talked about. The plantation had been owned by the Alexander family, whence Alexandria. A quarter mile from the Potomac, I couldn't see the river and could only imagine the boat traffic that would have been essential in the plantation's earlier days, but the planes, trains, and automobiles that have shaped the landscape since were certainly very much in evidence. And, of course, all that tobacco didn't just happen by itself. As I headed from the airport to an appointment along Columbia Pike, I drove past the Pentagon and Arlington Cemetery and then under the Freeman's Village Bridge, the only remnants of the formerly enslaved and free black community that was once there. I thought about Elliot's architecture and how grateful I was to know just a little more about the history and the wounds that shaped the place I call home. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up on this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. Special thanks to my guest, Elliot Carter, Tareen Barger, for joining me in this sound adventure. You can find links to Atlas Obscura, The Listening Lounge, and The Strength of Weak Ties all on my Facebook page, Choose to be Curious. And catch my other shows as as well there and on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, iTunes, and on my website at choosetobecurious.com. And follow me on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your pillow analogy, hashtag analogy. And I hope you'll join us next time when Naren Ramakrishnan, director of the Discovery Analytics Center at Virginia Tech right here in Boston, joins me to talk about curiosity and big data. Until then choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Thank you.